Young women at Cambridge University are being murdered. Mariana Andros is convinced the killer is Professor Edward Fosca, but she is yet to gather the proof to persuade the police. Also, the killer is protected by a cult-like group of women. Mariana is determined to expose the killer before she receives a postcard. The book, The Maidens. The author, Alex McAleides. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's Let's get get lit. Hi, readers. This is Alexis. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. So, Kari, how was your week? It was great. How was Anything yours? Anything special? Not really, no. Work draining you? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's a whole story. I was working today before I called you. Yeah. Uh, what about you? How was your week? Uh, it wasn't the greatest. A lot of death um, to with people close to me. And yeah, so it wasn't a great week. It's very sad. Yeah, that sounds very sad. I'm sorry to so, hear that. Thank you. So let, why don't we just move on? <laughs> okay. Each week we select a theme to All discuss right. inspired by the book we're reading. This week's theme, Greek tragedies. What are they? Then I found an interesting article that lists examples of tragedies in literature and film. So we get to talk about that a little bit, too. Okay, great. In this book, they speak about the works of Euripides. And I wanted to know exactly what his work was or what Greek tragedies are, because it was kind of part of that story. So I've always thought them of just being sad stories, but that's not actually true. Kari, what do you know about Greek tragedies? Um, A Greek tragedy is a story in which our protagonist or the main uh, symbol in the work, like experiences an arc. Am I on the right track? Um, Where at the end of that arc, there is like some death or devastation. Okay. Like they're working through something and it don't end up well. It just don't end up well. So (laughs) it's a tragedy. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> That's right. It's a tragedy. So I found just uh, some information and I kind of picked it from various sources. But a Greek tragedy is a form of theater from ancient Greece and Anatolia. Um, and then what I found, and that's repeated across um the articles that I located, is that the origins of Greek tragedies are not known. It's in question. I bet they're Greek. You know, Oedipus and um, the other one comes to mind, but you're getting there. Antigone? Antigone. That Mm -hmm. might be a name. I just need to see the words in writing. Uh, (laughs) The letters, the letters written out. So one um, video I came across says that um, Greek tragedies um, look at suffering, human misery directly in the face like no other art form. And the themes are university excuse me, the themes are universal and they, you know, they speak to us. The person that studied Greek tragedy the most was Aristotle. And he said that what makes an effect, what makes them effective is that the hero needs to be good, but not so good that we can't relate to them. 
Mm. Greek tragedies are like people are people trying to be good, but making mistakes. Um, Ultimately, the tragedies are about people making bad decisions that lead to terrible results. But the the decisions they're making are supposed to be for good reasons. And not all tragedies end in death. Mm, Okay, okay. So back in the day, the structure, according to Aristotle, was this. The the structure of a Greek tragedy. Mm -hmm. There's a prologue, okay? Kind of give you maybe some back about the story. And then there's a chorus that comes in and sings an introduction. Next, the story unfolds with like three or more episodes. And then the episodes are interspersed with choral interludes that explain or comment on the development of the play. And then the tragedy ends with an exodus. So tragedy as a genre is one of the main um, branches of literary drama. And so beyond just having a sad ending, the tragedy's main character is known as a tragic hero. Okay. A hero. Yeah. A hero doesn't always have to be like heroic, a heroic person. Even though it's hero. They're like the main thing. Like yeah. the hero of an image is just the main focus of the image. Right. So, <laughs> so according to Aristotle, um, literary tragedies also must have these elements. And that is um, hamartia, which is the pra- protagonist's tragic flaw. Okay. And then there's the anagronorisis, which is the tragic hero's change of heart which is usually too late. And that's what you were talking about, that arc, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I was trying to talk about, but you're doing a better job. <laughs> and then um, there's the peripetia, which is the reversal of the tragic hero's fortune, the turning point toward the tragedy. And then there's catharsis, the release of emotions for the audience of the tragedy. Now, when you think of tragedies, what do you think of? Is there um, a playwright or somebody yeah. that you think of? Yeah, Oedipus comes to mind because that to me is like a, the perfect Greek tragedy. It's like, um, so the chorus is cool too because they're letting, they're talking to the audience basically right. in a very artistic way and letting us in on uh, why everything everyone's doing is terrible and will not result in a good thing. And then uh, with Oedipus, there are actions that precede Oedipus's identity that he can't um, like get away from. There, there are uh, there was a first action that put into place all the following actions, and they affect him. And then he like continues the terribleness, and then it all just ends up terrible. But like you said, I hope I'm making sense. Um, like you said, <laughs> the decisions made, some of them are like relatable. Like, of course, if you had all this money and power and everyone around you was corrupt, you would do this. And of course, if this choice was in front of you, you know, if you weren't the person you are, you could definitely see doing this. So and then you've married your mom. So, you know, <laughs> that's a great tragedy. But who <laughs> who wrote that? Do you know who wrote it? Is it Sophocles? I have Sophocles wrote Oedipus Rex. You wait, is this even is this like an interpretation? Do I not have the right one? I don't know. 
Sophocles. But you have a property of Milwaukee Public Schools (laughs) returns at the end of the school year. (laughs) Yikes, yikes, yikes. I Um, think there, what I'm saying is there's, I think there's several um, tragedies that have that name Oedipus in it. Oedipus? Because this one that I'm looking at is Oedipus Rex, and that is from Sophocles. And so Sophocles, um, no, Oedipus is Oedipus. Sophocles wrote Oedipus. Why you have Oedipus Rex and I have Oedipus Tyrannus? I have no idea. It's Tyrannus Rex. Is it? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, but so anyway, of the many tragedies that have been known to be written, there are just 32 full-length texts by only three authors. And Sophocles is one of them. The other one is Euripides. And the final one is um, Achilles. But Oedipus, like that. <laughs> Oedipus Tyrannus is just Greek for Oedipus Rex. Oh. There's only so, one Oedipus. Okay. So that's the big Sophocles did that work. All right. So let's move on. Those are their 32 works are surviving. Um, a piece of work from uh, Eumenides. No. Yeah, Eumenides, which is talked about in the book, is one of those surviving pieces. And Agmemnon is also one of those surviving pieces. I don't know the words you're saying. Okay. Those are in the book that we came across them in the book. So they're oh. they're referenced in the book. Oh, in the book we're reading today. <laughs> yeah, in the book. No, we're yeah, yeah. Today. No, I know. <laughs> and then who is like like the biggest well known writer of tragedies? Sophocles, because that's the only one I own that I apparently stole from my school as a young lad. Yeah. How about William Shakespeare? Yeah, you know, I agree, but that's not a Greek tragedy. That's like borrowed from Greek tragedy. Right. So we're moving oh. on. So I have a comp. I've let you oh, know who's yeah, a Greek. Absolutely, tra- Shakespeare. I mean, Romeo and Juliet, a very great tragedy. It has all of those elements. It has the chorus. It has this hero or heroes, I guess. And yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He had like, um, what I say, like 10 of them, 10 of them that of his 37 plays that he wrote, 10 of them were tragedies. OK, and that's Antony and Cleopatra. Hamlet, oh, I forget about that. Julius Caesar, King Lear, King Lear yeah. Macbeth, Othello, Romeo and Juliet, team in the um, of Athens and then. Titus Andronicus, and then one other one. That penultimate one I've never heard of in my life. Can you say that again? Uh, Titus Andronicus. No, the penult the one before the last one. You you what was that? Oh, Timon of Athens. Timon. Hmm. I must sound so No, I could be pronouncing it wrong. T i m o n. Okay. And then the final one is. Coriolanus. That's another one. Anyway. Making up stuff. Okay. (laughs) The difference um, with these characters and Shakespeare's that they have tragic endings. They have tragic 
flaws and there's dramatic irony, but they follow the same pattern of um, like the whole elements that Aristotle mentioned. And that's why they're considered tragedies. Hamartia, Anagonorises, Peripetia, and Catharsis. Those are the four elements of a Greek tragedy. And as we move through time, William Shakespeare also used those elements. I knew about the Chuck Norris, but I didn't know about the other three. <laughs> well, maybe cathar- catharsis. Catharsis. Yeah, you know yeah. about that. I just okay. know the word. So mm-hmm. then um, moving on, we have been able to read some tragedies through our podcast. We've read, in fact, oh. <laughs> what are considered four of them. Now, Greek drama started literary tragedies and Shakespeare perfected them but <gasps> how dare you choice of words that is what they said we don't this even know Shakespeare was writing his stuff <laughs> and then um, so modern examples of, of literature have tragedies and so can you think of one that we did over the course of our year and some months I would, would say Leo Tolstoy's Anna Karenina is a tragedy. Exactly. That's the top of the list. And it's top of my list. Great tragedy. Way better than Oedipus. That mess is weird. Like when you think of it, that ain't relatable. Any of it. May, um, maybe it was <laughs> at that time. Yeah, no. I, at sure. that time. Okay. What else you got? What else is a... Um, oh, the wedding was a tragedy. That's right? not on the list, but that very well could be. But it doesn't have like the hero, I guess. It doesn't follow the structure. Okay, moving on. A Bronte book. Oh, all of them is tragedies. <laughs> but the one on the list is Weathering Heights. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. And then I'll just say uh, the last two, uh, The Great Gatsby is considered yeah. that. Okay. And that's because within Gatsby, um, his tragic flaw is his idealism and his inability to face reality. And it results in the death of many people, including himself. Nick Carraway's or Gatsby's? Oh, Gatsby's. Sure, Gatsby. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And then the final one, even though this is a true story, is the diary of a young girl and Frank. Uh, but is that what's on the list? That is on the list, which I, I mean, found interesting because elements. it doesn't. It, and she had no control over the things that were happening to her. And I think that's explained in the next section where they talk about um, true stories, um, tragedy in real life and tragedies and tragedy in real life and tragedies in literature have different definitions. So I think that's why they've inserted that. But then you've diverted so much from the Greek tragedy, you know? Yeah. So I I don't know how they, I mean, they're tragic. They're tragic. Everything sad is in a tragedy, right? Yeah. They're, they're tragic stories, but I don't know how they, but they consider these as part of the um, tragedies. But that's it. That's ultimately it. I don't want to. I don't even want to go into the tragedies. We've had enough dark stories in our time. Yeah, I'm depressed. So should we read a Greek tragedy? You think? I think we should. They're not Can very we do long. King Lear. No. 
you know, or Macbeth or Othello. That's one I've been wanting to read for a while. Okay. I was thinking Oedipus. You just said we don't relate to that. <laughs> we want to read <laughs> but that. I would love to hear what you think. But you read it, right? No, I, I didn't read Oedipus. Okay. Hmm. We'll think okay. about that. We'll huh? think about that. I but, mean, it's so short. We should do it. See, your definition of short and my definition of short really is very short. different. That book that you're holding in your hand looks very thick. Very this, thick. This book I have is full of like uh, references, criticisms of the work at the time. I mean, really steal from your public schools because they got the good stuff. I don't even think you could find this book nowadays. Don't steal. <laughs> That's bad. And it ends with Hamlet. Which There's is, a lot going on in this book. And and what was Hamlet? Did you read Hamlet? Uh, in high school. What was his um, tragic flaw? Do you yeah. remember? No. His was self-doubt. And it prevented him from acting quickly to avenge his father's... Um, to avenge his father, right? And so many of the characters suffered untimely death due to that flaw. Okay. So that's that. Those are Greek tragedies. That what little about bitty Romeo piece. And Juliet? What, what was Romeo and Juliet's flaw? Stupidity? Ooh. Yeah, nothing's relatable in that book. Them kids was dumb. <laughs> right? They I, were, right? Why do they have to be dumb? Well, they are dumb, and they, they are dumb. They, they no one was not dead, and they, they took their own life. Yeah, that so. was that was really dumb. That was sad, actually. Um, and not well thought out. Not well thought out. It wasn't. I, I mean, it wasn't. So nah. that's tragedies, <laughs> Greek tragedies. At the top of the list, we got into a little bit about the literature. Because um, when he was banished, she could have just left with him, right? I don't know. We could Sorry. pick one of those stories. It would be great for next season. Okay. So that's it. Do you have anything you want to share about Greek tragedies? Something that I didn't talk about that you feel like is especially important? Nah. Okay, well, let's <laughs> take a quick break. Okay, let's do it. today friend however if you are interested in knowing reader who alex michael Leides is i implore you to listen to our the silent patient episode from season one where we take a dive into alex michael Leides' life his background his inspiration he's a big agatha christie friend spends a lot of time growing up on the, some island in greece which island mm. hmm. yes so, uh, yeah, he's really inspired by his culture. That's one of the best things about his writing is that mm -hmm. he weaves in um, Greek mythology into and, and like uh, culture into his writings. Yeah. Cyprus. Yeah, yeah. he's raised in Cyprus. He went to Cambridge, too, by the way. I don't know yeah. if it was for grad. I think he went to like uh, what's that? Um, it's not quite an Ivy League, but it almost is Trinity. Yeah. Yeah. In like Connecticut or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, Trinity and Cambridge. 
Well, thank you. Well, why don't we then move on and do a brief synopsis? And um, why don't you share that before we jump into the deep dive? Sure, sure. Folks are dying all over campus. And one therapist turned detective. Why is she a detective, you guys? We'll never know. She knows who's behind the bodies, or does she? Coming head to head with the university's most beloved professor will either land her on the right side of justice or six feet underground. Follow our self-appointed sleuth through the murky waters of speculation and circumstantial evidence until everyone knows the truth except her. (laughs) It's one of those books where you like, oh, you idiots. Don't you see? And then you got to wait 200 pages for her to see. But she'll see. Uh, So uh, what were your first thoughts of The Maidens by Alex Michaelides? You know, I um, you know, I really love the silent patient. That was just like really meaty. And so I was looking forward to the maidens. I was interested to see how he would create this new story and have the same um kind of twist ending that he had in the um silent patient. You see how we do authors? Do that thing you did before. Do it again, but do it different. Why do we do that to people? That's so hard. That's so, so much. Yeah, I thought about that as I was reading this book and kind of um, writing up about that. And it's you're right. It's not fair to do that. But that's what my first impression was, was to think <laughs> about that. And But I do recognize that that's unfair. But readers tend to kind of follow the same pattern. So it's not far off to expect that. That's what I'm going to say to that. Yeah, I think that's a good point. The Silent Patient is one of those books. I guess some people don't like it. I loved that book. And that's a book I wish I had never read because that moment when you read it for the first time, you're never going to go back to that moment. Um, And once it turns, once it's revealed who's what, it was so cool to me because I really did not see it coming. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm having such a good time. Uh, so yeah. did you did you so you enjoy not seeing it coming yeah that's but the I, best wait a like, minute whoa, now whoa, you got me I thought you like to be able to hey come on now calm down I know where you're going uh-huh. so Agatha Christie has this thing with Perot where Perot pulls evidence that the reader is not that's not available to the reader. So I didn't know, Perot, that 20 years ago you were in school with the exact man that happened to be the victim. We never (laughs) talked about that in the book. So please don't pull it up at the end. That is rude. What I mean is I didn't see it coming and the evidence was there. Then I feel fooled and that's fun. It's like, and then there were none, which, you know, he's a big book. Yeah. But I felt the same with The Silent Patient and a little bit with um, The Woman in the Window, although I saw that coming. That felt delicious also. So when you've given me the evidence and I still can't pick up the pieces and then going back on second read, I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, I see it now. It's so clear. How did I miss it? Okay, That's fun stuff. So you like it when the evidence is there. You just can't figure it out. You don't figure it out. But if the evidence is not there, you just like, this is stupid. Okay, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Exactly. I get it. So um, who do you think would um, enjoy reading this book? 
Kari. Lovers of Agatha Christie would love this book, I believe, specifically um, titles such as The Mary- Mysterious Affair at Styles and The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. Um, now, I'm not going to get too much into spoilers um, in the beginning of this episode, but I will say the setup of those books and who's in on what to me is very similar to The Maiden. Maybe we should do a separate episode where we have just the spoilers. Um, in our discussion about the book. So I was going back and forth about it because discussing this book without discussing the spoilers just felt a little too empty. So we went to our Instagram friends and we put out a poll and it was almost split even. Some were like, don't ruin the book. Others were like, please ruin the book. So what I've decided to do is to give you a timestamp in the show notes and just a very quick spoiling that we're going to get out there and uh, not refer to again at the end. So if you don't want to be spoiled, if you don't want this book spoiled for you, you can just skip that little part and you should be fine. There will be mild spoilers throughout, but I'm not ruining the plot. Okay, Kari, ready to take this deep dive into the maidens? Sure. Let's get started. Okay, this is going to be more of a discussion because my notes are just so-so and I read this book a long time ago. So here we go. Part one, grief is like fear. So let me tell you, Alexis, about Sebastian. He's gone. Mariana is still in love with him, however. She cannot relinquish the possessions he's left behind, including a pair of sneakers, the last thing he was wearing, before he hopped into the sea and was never seen again. For Mariana, without Sebastian, life is no longer in color. It's all behind a veil of sadness. And that phrase, veil of sadness, is alluding to some of the um, like uh, references that the author is going to make throughout the book. And there are delicious little phrases like that throughout his writing um, that shed light on either um, actions that the characters are about to make or their inspiration for them, perhaps uh, Greek mythology and things like that, that they're into. Aside from her husband's death, Mariana's dealing with her own personal de- demons, issues she's battled her entire life. For example, she grew up without her mom and her father was never affectionate. In fact, it wasn't until she grew up that she learned he was a wealthy man, very wealthy. She didn't even know. They lived like poor people, but he was like loaded as a self-made businessman. Um, When he died, he left everything to Mariana and Mariana used it modestly, saving the bulk of her fortune for her children as she had agreed with Sebastian, her husband. So those are those two characters. Again, Sebastian, who is no longer with us, and Mariana, who is our protagonist. During the last days of his life, Sebastian was worried about money unbeknownst to Mariana. They went away for a break from their stresses, his being financial and hers about getting pregnant. She really wanted to get pregnant, I think, or didn't know if she wanted to. It was a lot. And so she needed a vacation. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to get pregnant. And the doctor suggested instead of going into any kind of therapy related to trying to get pregnant, take a vacation (coughs) and relax first. That'll ease it up. Right. Exactly. Um, And they shared like passionate kisses and long gazes into each other, each other's eyes. And then he drowned on the trip. So at the height of their love, 
he was taken from her, fell asleep in death. Um, so it's extra tragic because she really liked him when he was gone and, and then he was gone. So, oh, this episode, ooh, I'm gonna need the tissues. So Mariana's life as a therapist, she's a sad therapist. I don't know why I'm laughing. Grappling with the death of her husband who died on a family trip. She hosts therapy sessions in her front room with a mix of clients from varied backgrounds, including a man who is obsessed over her and shows signs of self-harm. That man's name is Henry. So now I'm introducing you to a third person. Henry is highly intelligent. He's vulnerable, although outwardly he shows all this bravado. He suffered physical and sexual abuse from his father as a child before being shuffled around to various foster homes. Despite all the odds, he finished um, like uh, rudimentary school and made it to university. Quickly after enrolling, however, he suffered a major breakdown from which he never recovered. And now he deals with drug and alcohol addiction and reoccurring breakdowns, like a routine of breakdowns every so often. It's a lot on him. Um, he was referred to by a doctor to Mariana's group, um, which again takes place in the front room of her personal home That's where crazy. she lives, where she plays with her kids. She doesn't have kids. It's OK. It's a reference. But um, it's, and it's insane that she would have Alexis, therapy. And she won't lock the door. Yeah. She refuses to lock the door. She thinks it'll be a sign of like giving into her internal fears. So no, she leaves her doors life. unlocked. Lock all the doors, all the doors. And then you have As people American, that you're cannot treating, understand. treating in yeah. your home. Lock okay. the windows too. Anyway, Henry is a constant source of conflict within the group. Like the first time we meet Henry, he's brought a cup of coffee. And then someone's like, you can't have coffee. That's the rules. You can't have a cup. And he's like, it's just a cup. And then it's like anger for no reason and just mess. I would um, be that. He, I would be that woman. You can't have yeah. a cup. So it'd be yeah. a problem. And yeah. I would be the one with the cup. You would yeah. be. It would be just mm-hmm. like that. It's yeah, because yeah, get over it. Yeah. And that's exactly what you would be saying. I'd be all uptight in the corner, like Yeah. You didn't even want to bring a cup. You just cup. don't want me to have the pleasure of bringing <laughs> no, the cup. I the it's the it's the rules. It's I'm the with her. rules. It's the rules. It's the law according to the rules. <laughs> also, Henry doesn't understand boundaries because his boundaries were stolen from him as a child. That is a well worded. Um, not the way I wrote it, but the way Alex words that ordeal, I thought was done very good. When you take a child's boundaries, um, it's hard for people to grow up with what they never had. Right. So for him, that means he stands too close when speaking to people. He blurts hurtful and crass things out. And he brings gifts for Mariana to the sessions, which is inappropriate. He also sometimes stands outside of her house, you guys, where the sessions are conducted. I just want to remind you in her home. And he just watches her from across the street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she like brings it up sometimes like, hey, can you stop I don't know, stalking me? He's like, no, I need you. And she's like, that's not appropriate, Henry. It's a mess. After one group session, he stays late. And when they're alone, he shows Mariana something. He says, I have to show you this. He pulls up his shirt and shows her his chest. He's taken a razor and cut crosses into his body. They're bloody and scabbing over. Mariana is visibly shaken, but she doesn't want to let him know that because no doubt that will um, like encourage him to continue with the self-harm because he knows it gets her attention. And she doesn't want him to continue with this this behavior. So um, 
Yeah, it's a mess. So she's rattled, but she stands her ground. She will not give him the satisfaction, which would no doubt elicit similar behavior from him. She sees him out, out of the front door and pours a glass of wine again. Not locking her door. But purposely this time she's thinking like, I'm not going to lock it because I'm not going to show that I'm afraid. To who, Mariana? Who are you showing? Lock that door. You don't got to prove nothing to nobody. And not only that, he wanted like private sessions. Yeah. And she's like, I'm a group therapist. And if you want private sessions, that's fine. But you can't meet with my group and then have me give you private sessions. You know, I can't give you that special treatment, which is really what he wants. (sighs) Then you guys, Mariana gets a call from her niece, Zoe. So now we're meeting a fourth person. In this story so far, Zoe and Mariana are the two characters you must know. After that phone call with Zoe, the nightmare begins. So who's Zoe? So so Zoe was like a daughter to Mariana and Sebastian when Sebastian was alive. Uh, Mariana feels protective of Zoe because Zoe's had a difficult childhood. Her parents, which includes Mariana's sister, died in, I think, a car crash. This book has got some sad elements, although I will say I didn't necessarily feel sad reading it. It is tragic. Um, So Mariana and Sebastian, like, were not really raising, but looking after Zoe. Uh, They weren't her official guardians, but they were like the cool aunt, not the regular aunt and uncle. And she, Zoe, is attending Cambridge, as did Mariana and Sebastian, as did the author. In fact, that's when Mariana and Sebastian first met and began dating is when they went to Cambridge. He was the first man to ever make her feel seen, even beautiful. He was tall, muscular, and gorgeous. She hasn't returned to the school since his death. And that's noteworthy. She grew up being ignored and he would tell her all the time, you're beautiful. And she couldn't see it. All she saw was his beauty. And him being so aspirationally gorgeous inside and out and then seeing her beauty within made her feel like valid as a person. Hmm. Yeah. So. Now Zoe's on the phone, right? She needs Mariana. Why? Because Zoe's friend Tara is missing. Also, a girl has been stabbed to death on campus grounds in the face multiple times. And Zoe thinks it might be Tara. That's why Tara's missing, but she's not sure. Mariana promises to join Zoe for support, but she assures her, don't fall apart. It's not Tara. She don't know if it's Tara. She just don't want Zoe to freak out. Something in Zoe's tone, though, unsettles Mariana because she's like, Zoe's like, I, sh- I know it's Tara because of something she said the last time I saw her. And Mariana's like, OK, what did she say? And um, Zoe's like, I got to go. And Mariana's like, what? Why? I mean, I know you're stressed, but something is weird. So she decides to go to the school and be with Zoe. Part two, the man. So in the beginning of the book, there's like one or two chapters where we're reading a man's diary. Most of this book is, um, I'm having brain farts, third person. Most of this book is third person, but this part is written in first person and it's um, a letter, like which we assume is like a diary entry at the time we're reading it. Um, So this is one of the chapters from a man's point of view. We don't know who this man is. Um, So (laughs) we're thrown into the other person's POV written out as thoughts of a man whose identity we don't know. He's telling us he's changed forever. 
I've changed forever, he says. Why? Because I've murdered someone. Oh. He is two people in one mind, he says, and the other person inside of him is thirsty for blood. He must hurt people. He is the villain of his own story. As a child, he suffered under a bullying father who would beat him and his mother. It's hinted, maybe even um, like physically abuse him sexually. Why did the mother not do more to protect him? He is wondering. That is the thought he fights constantly. So at this point of the book, Alexis, who do you think this man is? I have no idea. So, yeah, I, I have no idea who he is. I, I'm supposed to think it's our killer. That's what I'm supposed to think. And so I'm left with that. But I, I yeah. don't know who it is. Yeah. So we are to think that whoever killed whoever the girl is, maybe Tara, maybe not, is probably this man. And I'm thinking the man is Henry somehow. But then I'm like, no, because Henry was just at Mariana's house. So how did he also kill someone? So I don't know. And then there's not a timestamp with that. Um, so it's just like, here is this piece. And, and Michael Leedes did you. some. And Michael Leedes did some cool things with time and the silent patient uh, where spoil, soft spoiler, you think you're reading a concurrent mm-hmm. concurrent story. But really, um, these point of views are happening at different times. And then they all just convulge into one time, the present. And it's really cool. <laughs> Part three, boy faces and student groupies. So on the train to Cambridge, Mariana meets a man with the face of a boy. Oh, <laughs> OK. OK. Now. <laughs> He's staring at her while eating an apple. It's creepy. He has the game of a weirdo. He stares at her and awkwardly spills things on his pants. He then questions her about where she's going and why. And this is his way of like making small talk and getting to know her. You know, he's a mathematician. His name is Fred. So now you've met Fred. When the train arrives, he offers to ride his bike alongside her while she walks to Cambridge. She like, nah. And then he like, what about coffee tonight? And she like, nah. And he like, you know what? That's OK. I have a feeling I'm going to meet you again. I'm not discouraged. <laughs> and then he like pedals off. It's weird. And when he leaves, Mariana's like, oh, good thing that boy gone. He was weird. Anyway, when Mariana arrives to Cambridge, the beauty of the school helps her heart sing as every corner reminds her of the best years of her life. She finds the crime scene, unfortunately, and relatively quickly and becomes convinced it is indeed Tara, Zoe's friend, who was stabbed to death. She then runs into a man named Julian. Now, Julian, like, probably liked her back in the day. Um, she used to know him. He's now a writer slash journalist who prefers topics about serial killers and death. So that's all the news. All of his coverage is on this very bleak topic. And he even has books about it, like how a serial killer mind mind works. And Mariana's like something about you, Julian. Like, why are you obsessed with that? Mm. Very distasteful. Ooh. And he's also like flirting with her at mm-hmm. this crime scene. Yeah. And then she That's walks creepy. away. Dead body yeah. before you blood all over the place. Like, you want to get something to drink? No. So, Mariana finds Zoe, her niece, and breaks the news like, yeah, girl, it's Tara. And Zoe sobs, um, you know, and just stares into space. 
She's she's sitting on her bed and holding the stuffed animal that brings her comfort while she's crying. She's holding the stuffed animal. And Mariana thinks how happy her and Sebastian were when they learned Zoe had made a friend out of Tara because it wasn't easy for Zoe to make friends. And then now that Tara is dead, it's like extra sad. Um, And then Zoe starts talking. First, she feels guilty. She should have went to the police when Tara said whatever it was she said the last time they saw each other. Number two, Tara had said she was high at the time, but she had said someone was going to kill her. One of the professors, Edward Fosca. Whoa. Yeah, Tara was like, Edward's going to kill me. Um, Tara and Edward were intimate, student professor. And Tara had threatened to like out him for sleeping with another student. And he was like, if you do that, I will definitely kill you. Third, Mariana takes this info to the police. They speak to Professor Edward Fosca and he has an alibi. He was in a classroom with another student and that student vouched for him. Actually, there were more than one student and they Six. all vouched for him. So the police are like, it's probably the boyfriend. Even Julian, the journalist, is like, it's probably the boyfriend. It's always the boyfriend. And the boyfriend's weird um, and low class. So it was definitely him. <laughs> so Tara's boyfriend, Conrad, is very interesting to police. But Mariana and Zoe are like, nah, it ain't Conrad. Like, it ain't. We just know it. So let's meet Professor Edward Fosca. Fosca is the most attractive professor in school. He's dark, like his hair is dark. He's got olive skin, smoldering eyes, athletic build. He's about 40 years old with an American accent because he's American. He's uh, so, you know, he evil. He is aware of his effect <laughs> on women and he wields it skillfully. The girls love him. He has like this club of students that follow him. And the students that follow him are like the most beautiful, supermodel, uh, well-connected, influential students in the school. Only girls, though. And they go by the name The Maidens. And they'll protect him vehemently. Mm. He assures Zoe and Mariana that he would never be intimate with a student. Me? Come on, don't be silly. And you know what? Tara, he says, was like a little off, right? Don't you guys agree? She's a little desperate and hysterical. So he decides that the police need to investigate Conrad, uh, Tara's old boyfriend. Um, And the police are like, you're right, we do. So let's meet Conrad. He ain't got no alibi. Also, he's really sad because his girlfriend just died. So he's like useless to everyone. And then they're like convinced he did it. Mm -hmm. Also, like he's managing a drug habit. He's on drugs, you guys. And he sells them too. He's tall, tattooed. But there's a gentleness about him that Mariana notices, although the men in the investigation don't really notice. And Julian, that journalist, doesn't trust him and is convinced he killed Tara, like we said. So none of the men are like on Conrad's side. But Mariana's like, there's something in you. I can see it. Meanwhile... Henry is calling Mariana and begging she return home. Remember, Henry is the um, patient, patient, the group patient, Mm -hmm. the patient with the problems. Um, We all got problems, but you know what I mean. He tells her, I can see you. I can see you. He tells her this on the phone. Well, that's he knows where she is. He can see her. And Mariana's like, "Okay, I got to go. Bye. And she like shakes it off. Like he can't see me. That'd be crazy. Later, she runs into Fred. Remember Fred? He's the one with the boy face from the train. And he asks her out again. 
Uh, he wants to discuss the campus murder of Tara. How do you know about that? You took the words out of my mouth. So how does he even know, Mm -hmm. Mariana thinks? Mm -hmm. Do we remember that? Did he really? I don't have the book. (laughs) I was like, I I don't remember that. He's kind of creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, she agrees with you and she wants to squeeze all the info out of him possible. So she agrees to a quick dinner date, quote unquote date before their quote unquote date. She finds Tara's old, I think better is what they're called. Yeah. Better. And these are like housekeepers for the dorms. Um, she's a contemptuous woman and convinces her. Um, <laughs> wow. um, convinces her like she doesn't know anything. But Mariana just wants to get into Tara's room to see if there's any evidence left behind. And eventually she like buys her way with cakes into the old woman's heart and the old woman lets her in. <laughs> Inside, Mariana finds... You can buy finds, me over with cake. I'd let you yeah. in. <laughs> Mariana finds a postcard and on it is a classic painting of a naked woman and an image of st- someone standing over her holding a dagger. Mariana's like, uh-uh, this ain't no coincidence. She reads the message on the back of the postcard. It's in Greek. And in short, it says that a maiden of noble birth must be sacrificed. Who teaches Greek tragedy and was a professor of Tara's? Hmm. Do you know, Alexis? Edward Fosca. Done, done, done. Done, done. So Mariana's date with Fred is not consequential. He really wanted a date. She thinks he's too young. Remember, he has a boy face. So he says they should solve the crime together. And that's when I'm looking at the book like, wait, why is Mariana solving this crime? And I want us to talk about this for a second. When did she become the crime solver and why? Do you know? (laughs) So um, she was convinced by Clarice that she should stick around not only Clarice, but Zoe. She knew Zoe wanted to find out who killed her friend. So she was encouraged kind of to stick around and help out with that. Is but in she, Mariana's shoes, are you then going, is your solution to go find the killer or to comfort Zoe? Like I would be in there cooking for Zoe, cleaning up, making sure she's taking care of herself, being there to talk to. I'm not going out and trying to find who killed Tara. No, but that's what they talked about. It's like, you could do it. And plus, um, Zoe had already given some information, some basis on what to go on. Zoe planted or said that Professor Fosca was a problem. So she was she had somebody to go dig into. So it was easy. So I get why she did it. I mean, I understand where you're saying it doesn't make sense, but I get it. It was easy. It's not like she had to start from scratch. She had a, a reference point. Yeah. And I, um, yeah, you're right. Zoe is like mentioning Professor Fosca, like Tara and him were intimate and she was going to out him. He said he'd kill her. And then um, Mariana's like, well, how do you feel about Professor Fosca? And Zoe's like, I don't know. He dazzles me. And that makes me uncomfortable. Like, why is he so dazzling? And that's the word she used. But anyway. Mm. Yeah. What a word. Yeah. So Fred is like, hey, I can solve crimes too. We can solve crimes together. Also, sometimes. Oh, oh, by the way, (laughs) that ends. And immediately she feels like someone's following her. And they are. 
Sometimes she feels like she's being followed throughout this book because sometimes she's being followed throughout this book. And so she got to like turn around a corner and wait for the dark figure whose face we, you know, don't see to like pass. He don't find her. And so you walk away and she's like, ah, but I'm going to keep solving the case. Okay, now, readers, I'm going to take one minute. To spoil the book. Ah, give me two. Okay, you ready? You know, you might as well give yourself five minutes. You know how you are. Okay, Okay, so what I'm going to do is play this music in the background for the duration of the period I'm discussing spoilers. If you hear this music, I'm still discussing spoilers. If you don't, we are done with spoilers. Okay? Okay. So Mariana arranges like these um, group sessions with the maidens. First, she like meets with them one on one, but it's not working. They're not giving her information. They're like rich and, uh, you know, well to do. And they look down on her and they're like, you're dumb. Everything you're saying is dumb. But then one of them ends up dead. <laughs> like the, the queen bee of the group ends up dead. And Mariana's like, not again. So she arranges this group session with them. And she's like, um, oh, wait, before that, Alexis, she like succumbs to Edward Fosca's suaveity. <laughs> yeah, because he invites her to her, her home for dinner. His home. His home for dinner. For dinner. Mm-hmm. Oh, this guy who she thinks is the murderer and he's so fine. She like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to ask me. Also, I'm mourning the death of my husband, who I loved a lot. His name was Sebastian. So they um, have dinner at his home. He's being like, completely normal for a creepo like some guys like really know they're attractive and so they end up creepy and everything they do even when they look at you they're not looking at you they're looking at you look at them you know what I'm trying to say (laughs) you must have come across some kind of men like this in your time I have they looking at you like oh do you see me and how cute I am are you looking yikes yikes, (sighs) yikes, yikes. and then they're talking in poetry because who does that it's a mess. And that's exactly what Edward Fosca does. Meanwhile, every time he gets up and leaves the room, she's like going through his stuff and she comes across um, some evidence that she feels ties to the postcard that she found in um, Tara's room. Also, that girl, the Queen Bee that was killed, she had a postcard too. Also, eventually both Tara and Zoe get postcards. It's really ominous. Um, so anyway, they have a group and session. And pine a mess so they have she has a group therapy session with the maidens because that's what she knows how to do so she's gonna do it with them to try to find uh you know the truth and they're like you're dumb in fact um if you want all the maidens here like she leaves two chairs mm. empty for tara and uh the queen bee that di- that was murdered and they're like what about the third chair she was like, who else? Who else was a maiden that's not here today? And then Edward Fosca comes into the room and he's like, would someone like to tell her? And then by the time they say it, she already know Zoe. Mm-hmm. Zoe was a maiden. She was part of this like cult following of the professors. And so she's like, man, what else is Zoe keeping from me? So Mariana um, finds, she goes back to her room. It's disheveled. Everything's a mess. Spoiler, spoiler. Henry did it, okay, you guys? He really did follow her to the university, but um, he didn't kill nobody. You already know that. (laughs) He just, like, messed up her room and drew crosses on the desk. Um, But he's apprehended and thrown into a hospital for treatment. 
Um, so let's just forget that. Okay. Forget Henry. He's used as a plot point. It's kind of gross. So anyway, um, then Mariana goes to Zoe's room. If you're still listening, I'm still spoiling the book. Sorry, it's taking so long. Mm-hmm. When she goes into Zoe's room, she's like, what could it be? What, so where's the evidence? And she leans back on that toy. Remember that toy that like stuffed animals Zoe still holds from childhood? Well, inside of it are all of these letters. And the letters are the um, the diary entries or whatever. They're actually letters. And that's what we've been reading throughout the book. That's the second POV that we keep falling into throughout the story. They're letters written to Zoe. And the letters say things like, first, he's talking about his childhood and how his mother never saved him from his father. And he's like, there's something in me. I have to do this. You're going to do it with me. I feel like no one knows me like you do. Um, Are you ready? Are you sure you're ready for what we're about to do? Um, I just want to warn you, there's blood involved. Mm. So Mariana, at a point of the book when you like really tired of her, is like, Edward Fosca has been writing these letters to Zoe and Zoe has been killing these girls or arranging for the death with Edward. And by this time, like three girls are dead. So uh, Zoe comes into the room and is like, hey, auntie, hey. And Mariana's like, hi. So. <laughs> yeah, she's and very like, flat. And she's like, oh, you being weird, auntie. What's going on? Yeah, you being weird, auntie. Um, Also, I know where the murder weapon is, auntie. And if we find it, perhaps we'll have all the evidence we need to turn in Edward Fosca. And so Mariana inexplicably is like, okay, show me the weapon. So they, they're on the Cambridge campus. There's like, it's a huge campus. So they're like, or I don't know if it's huge, but it's beautiful. So they like get into this little like moat. They got to get in a boat to get in the moat. And then they like go to the other side of this like park setting. Um, and Zoe is like pulling out a knife from in between two rocks and is telling her aunt to keep walking. And her aunt, Mariana, notices a figure following them. It's Fred. Now, he didn't need no boat, but somehow he got across. <laughs> so <laughs> we gonna let that ride. That's, it's like a Tyler Perry movie at this point. Don't ask no questions. Um, so, y'all, I'm still spoiling the book. So sorry it took this long. So, uh, basically, well, can I Mariana, just back up a little bit? At the point please. where she's in her room, they yeah. have decided that they're going to run away and escape because she and Zoe have received these postcards, which they realize the postcard is really like a, a warning message that yeah, you're that you about next. to die. So they're mm-hmm. like, okay, let's get up and go. Um, we're going to escape from here. But before we go, let's go and get this knife. And um, Clarice, who is a, a professor there as well, she's like, y'all hurry up and run away because I don't want y'all to die. And when y'all leave, I will tell about the situation. But all of that changes when Mariana finds the letters. She's like, I'm going to just see how far the rabbit hole goes. Mm -hmm. So they cross the moat that um, Fred don't have to cross. And he's following them in secret. And Mariana's like, y'all, I'm still spoiling it. Sorry. Uh, Mariana's like, stop, Zoe. You don't need to do this. You're not just a puppet of Edwards. And Mariana, (laughs) now we on Zoe's side. Because Zoe's like, Mariana, I'm so sick of you. You so dumb. (laughs) 
it's not Edward. It's Sebastian. Your husband loved me since I was 15. What? We, 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 no one knew each other the way we know each other, Sebastian and I. I loved him. And we were going to set you up for these murders. Um, this is all just a distraction. I'm just killing people to distract from killing you, which is what we was going to do and frame Edward. And then we was going to get the money, yo daddy, um, that you inherited from your daddy. And we was going to go away and have a beautiful life. But you ruined it because you convinced Sebastian to go on this family trip and he died swimming. And so I'm still going to kill you because I'm still his puppet. And I have to carry this out as he and I planned. Okay, so he had been grooming her since she was a kid and then like got her into Murder. like brainwashed her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Marianne's like, oh, no, I can't even hear what you're saying because what you're saying is so terrible. And then Mariana's like, well, can you feel what I was saying? And she hold up the knife. <laughs> and then um, I like she's Fred is like, hey, y'all, what's going on? <laughs> It's not funny. Fred is like, hey, I was following you. Is that okay? And then Mariana's like, Fred, look out. And he gets stabbed in the back. (laughs) Wow. A mess. Um, And then uh, Mariana, like, gets stabbed, but just a little bit. And then somehow Zoe gets stabbed. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Zoe fell back on the knife. Oh, yeah, that's right. No one stabs her. She just falls to nearly death. Yeah. And um, so Mariana calls the police and Zoe is screaming all up until her voice is mixed with the sirens. She goes to um, the Grove, which (laughs) if you read The Silent Patient might be a delicious little Easter egg for you um, and is under the care of what's his name? Theo Faber. Theo Faber, yeah, from the first book. So it's a little... um, Alex Michaelides Marvel Universe so um, and Fred makes it and it looks like yeah crossover so Fred makes it he doesn't die and even though he has the face of a child Mariana is like maybe we'll date and that's the end Hmm. Um, so now I want spoilers pretty much done so what is this book about I want to talk about this Alexis what do you think this book is about? I um, I would like to know also. <laughs> so um, it's about. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, I would like to know also what this book is about. Is it? It's about murder for the sake of murder. It's about um, people who have had horrible lives. Everybody in the story has a horrible mother or the mother died at a tender age. And, and father. And, yeah, Terrible and father. Fathers. Horrible mother and father or they died at a tender age so they missed out on the love that is required to nurture a, a child through to adulthood. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody had that experience. And so it's about bad parenting. 
Yeah, that's it. And and okay, it's a lot of bad parents out there with kids that ain't going around doing this. So I don't think this book is about anything, which is fine. But two things stuck out. First of all, Alex Michaelides knows nothing about how women think or what motivates them. Mariana's every action is a reaction mostly to her husband's remembered gaze. So he used to think of me like this. I miss him thinking of me like this. This is what I'm doing because this is what he did. The professor slash mentor who smokes a pipe. So Mariana has this mentor who is a professor at the school who's a woman and she smokes a pipe all day. It's odd. Um, <laughs> she was also desperately in love with her husband. The mentor was. And now her husband is dead. Mm-hmm. That's not a spoiler. Uh, they were both professors at Cambridge and used to walk campus like holding hands and stuff. Her mind is unmatched and she can remember like ancient texts on a dime. Mm -hmm. But so, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so like it it matters not for the plot. She translates Um, Greek. She translated all the postcards. Yeah. The mean better Elsie, who like was in charge of cleaning Tara's room. She's odd. And Zoe is funny. But not in a ha ha way. It's like mm, so. I feel like Zoe wasn't really in the book. She was like very sporadically in the book, and then whenever things needed to move along, you would see Zoe. And then at the end, she, she was there. It's like I got a letter too, and I think bad things about this guy for real now. <laughs> and that's it's <laughs> good point. Second. Um, although Alex knows nothing about women, he knows even less about men. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's only one true honest man, and that's Fred. And he's and creepy. Fred is weird. And he's, he's creepy. creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like Alex prefers to write characters like Henry, who are disturbed. Um, the secret journaling gentleman very disturbed who we come to find out is you remember who I told you it is. Okay. Moving on. Professor Edward Fosca, uh, the Porter who like keeps the grounds kept the groundskeeper. Mm-hmm. He's also a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, Sebastian's a mess. Everyone's a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, you ready to take a break? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here we go. <laughs> What did you think of The Maidens and would you recommend this book? I'm going to start with my recommendation and that's a no. I didn't enjoy it. It was very meh. It was like, it fell flat for me. The, um, the, the ending, it was just like there. Because <laughs> like, I felt like it was long and drawn out. There were too many. Mm-hmm. It was like a, a Thursday murder child for me. Like all these like paths that you can guess on. And they were so yeah. unnecessary. And why was Fred there? Why did Fred exist? Now I feel like you. You always talking about why people exist. I want to know why Fred exists. What's mm-hmm. Fred's point? Why? I mean, he's like, yeah, you did say that. What purpose does this character serve in the story, really? Yeah, so I, I, um, I didn't care for it. I, I didn't care for it at all. Uh, the villain that was identified, I was like, that's a reach. And um, does it even make sense? <laughs> and and why? Yeah. Well, I mean, what's the point? That I don't like that. I don't like the story they told. Not. I, I don't like the story they told with that. It was. 
I didn't like it, but I did like the insertion of the crossover information about the Grove, about Theo Faber getting a job there, about Theo Faber treating patients. And I I, I enjoyed that. But So all the throwbacks to the silent patient were fun. <laughs> they were great. Anything that take you out of this book was welcomed. <laughs> but I did not enjoy it. I, I did not. And I... I there was too many um, pass off to other people, extra people for no reason. Just stop it. And too, <laughs> just too many, um, you know, bad parenting or dead parents. And it, it just, I didn't care for it. How about you, Kari? Would <laughs> you recommend this book? So um, when I think of murder mysteries that are great, um, I'm sorry to bring this up, but because he's so inspired by Agatha, let's take and then there were none. Um, the purpose of this book, of that book is kind kind of like tell, to tell you, uh, you, you can't avoid the consequences of your actions forever. Um, and that uh, bad, pe- bad things also happen to bad people. You know, you always hear, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, bad things can happen to bad people, too. Right. And even if you want to grant innocence to yourself and absolve yourself of your, um, I don't know, issues, those issues still exist and you must like account for them, even if someone more evil than you says you have to. It's just fun. There's nothing like that in this. (laughs) This is um, this is a book I read while on vacation. And I will tell you, my favorite part of the book was the middle. I really like the way Alex weaves in his culture effortlessly to me into the story. I felt like that felt like something he's excited about. And it's fun to read something that the author is excited about. But what he wasn't excited about is the characters. (laughs) And all the characters are extremely, it's like reading a Tyler Perry movie. I'm not going to lie to you. They're very one dimensional characters, all very flawed. Um, The ending is nonsensical. And by the time you get there, you've been there. I felt like I was on the other side of the boat waiting for everybody. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Can we try to kill Mariana yet? So I can say I didn't read this. So with that said, I wouldn't recommend it because there's no point to read about murder just to read about murder. And that's what this book was just, I mean, they literally said for the purpose of, you know, those are just for fun. I did that because. And the ending doesn't make sense. Why did you kill these people? It does because I just wanted to. For a distraction? Yes, for a distraction. This entire ruse is just... It doesn't make any sense. It's extra for no reason. Because for real, there's a point in the book where the killer is alone with the person they want to kill and they could kill him. But instead, they've concocted a theater, a spectacle where other people also must lose their life. And it's just why. Yeah. It's, that's pointless. Uh, that's and no pointless. character like moves the pl- again within then there were none. The 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 plot, the um characters, the cast of characters is so economical and I love that everyone's there who's there needs to be there if you don't need to be here you can leave and if that was the case with this book there'd be no one in it maybe two people because you really don't need most of these people they don't further the story they're just there you guys so I recommended this book I feel like I should apologize to Alexis 
Um, but I was in the middle of the book when I was enjoying it. And then I got to the end and it, it wasn't. I just didn't. I said, huh? But the last quarter of the book or last half probably was really just disappointing to me. So I would not recommend this book. Thank you. And you know what, though? I don't think every book that we pick up and read, we have to love right off. We And we're not recommending it just because we were saying we're reading it, right? No, no. Nope. We have to get into the book and see just how the picture is told. And, you know, this picture was ugly. I didn't like it at all. (laughs) And sophomore albums are hard. The same as with sophomore books. When people really love your first work, um, it's hard for them to move on and see you do something different. And I, I feel like the author felt a lot of pressure from the silent patient to create a twist. Um, to to give us that feeling, that high again from an unexpected revelation. But he didn't do it with this one. He didn't. But I have faith in him. Yeah. I have faith in him. I think this third book is really going to make the second one just forgotten. Yeah. And it'll be great. That's kind of like Jurassic Park, right? Everybody loved the first one, but some of the second ones or third ones, they didn't. They hate it. So, yeah. Uh, the, the first one's you know, amazing. The second one's good. And then the rest are like, what rest? Yeah. So until you get to the lost world. And which then it's is really like, great. Okay, cool. But um, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't stop reading them just because of this book. Exactly. But I, would yeah, not- I think his third book, he won't feel the pressure because he I think he failed like on purpose. Like mm, just to get a now- failure out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's like, oh, we don't expect nothing from you no more. There you go. And now he's gonna release a third <laughs> book, and it's gonna be amazing, just or it'll just be mediocre. But because our expectations were so low, we're gonna love it. We don't expect nothing from you no more. <laughs> is that is that how it is? Yeah. No, really I expect bad, you Alex. to do better. That's what I expect. I expect yeah, you to do, do better. better, Alex. But yeah. um, yes, listen, I'm not mad at you. I just didn't like it, so. I'm a little mad now that we're talking about it. Just because why do you think so little of women? Why, you need to educate yourself perhaps more on what, spend more time with women. Yeah, but he, Especially if your main POV is going to be a woman. And thinking back with the silent patient, okay. the weakest character was the woman, but she didn't need to be a strong character. And, you know, you can have a strong character that is weak mm-hmm. as a person. But written well, fleshed out, that that um, <laughs> that painter in The Silent Patient is not just the best character, but she don't have to be. She's just a, a tool that the pr- protagonist needs to reveal his issues. And that's fun. That's um, but fun. but this this is from a woman's POV and it's she's not fully formed. She only she's not a woman. I don't know what she is. <laughs> I don't know what she is. I don't know. So. Okay. Well, there, there you go. And have then, it. Alex, sorry, one more okay. thing. Alex, which of these characters is you? Because I'm worried. You know what? Okay, that's all. You what? know what? I wondered about that in the book as well. And I'm trying to think at what point I asked myself that question, but I did ask myself as I was reading this book. At least one character has the majority of you in it, you know? You're you're informing all the characters, but one character is more than likely holding uh, every, the sum of you somehow. And I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> Keep writing, though. Yeah. Well, that was it. What are we reading next week, Kari? Le Tour du Monde, un quatre vingt jours. 
by Jules Verne. What a show off. Thank you. I'm over it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> a fun little round. Thank you for listening to Lit Society. We look forward to meeting up with you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. Because we love you, too. We definitely do. We love you. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes this month's book list and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, read read something. something.